interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've been put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. This is God's word. It's a joy to be with you, brothers and sisters, for the worship of God. All weekend I've been enjoying Ithaca and wonderful campus of Cornell University, enjoying the hospitality of my hosts, Steve Froelich and David Jones and Carol Johnson, uh, thanks to you and to all of you whose hospitality has been so warm. So if you have been raised with Christ as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, put on patience, clothe yourselves with patience. And the Lord knows we need it. Every day brings a little array of things that try our patience. You buy something that needs to be assembled and the instructions don't make any sense. You're out on a golf course on a beautiful day in May, one of those bluebird days that makes you want to cry out because you are full of longing for God's beauty. You're out on a bluebird day in May and you're playing golf and you hit your first long straight drive of the afternoon and when you get to where your ball should be lying, it's not there. You toss 14 socks into a dryer, you get 13 back. Well, where do you think those single socks go? 
the humorist, the late Irma Bombeck, speculated that single socks like that all go to heaven, <laughs> where, where they meet other single socks and, and mate. But she never cited any scripture. As God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with patience. When we have been clothed with patience, we can absorb nuisances. We can absorb nuisances the way a good cotton shirt absorbs a few drops, stray drops of water. And we can absorb people who are nuisances. Pokey drivers in the left lane. People who let their dogs bark all night. The person ahead of you at a 15-item express checkout lane at the supermarket who's got 23 items and who waits until everything's been rung up to fish for a checkbook. Strangers can try our patience in all kinds of little ways, but they are no match for members of our own family or our own, our own dorm. The paradigm cases of annoyance are all domestic. It's not that your loved one does anything wrong exactly, it's that just that Every once in a while, she has a way of lifting her left eyebrow that drives you nuts. It's not that he does anything wrong particularly. It's just that every once in a while, he starts to whine even when he's not complaining. Since you have been raised with Christ, clothe yourselves with patience. We need this piece of clothing. We need it to absorb the little drizzles of acid rain, the kinds of ordinary fallout that come from living and working with each other. We need patience in order to manage annoyances and the low-level irritation that accompanies them. One of the things that has come home to me in recent years is that when St. Paul wants to describe life outside of Christ, he so often describes angry life. Now, you were listening a few moments ago when Cheryl was reading from Colossians 3. What do we have to put to death? What's our end in dying with Christ? Put to death, of course, lust and porneia. Greek word from which we get pornography. Greed, all those things. But then, put to death anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk out of your mouth. It's all about anger. That's what you find in life outside of Christ. It's angry life out there. Angry sports. Angry politics. Music with an attitude. It's all about quarreling and gossip. Factions. Strife. War. Rumor of war. Split up friendships. Split up marriages. Split up churches. That's life outside of Christ. And some of us have found it in the church in our families, in our friendships, angry life, angry talk shows, hired guns with law degrees, people who are permanently teed off and go to law school to get their anger licensed. Put it off, says Paul. Put it away. Put it to death. Take off all those angry old clothes and clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with patience 
Now, why? Well, the most obvious reason is that patience fits people who have been raised with Christ. Patience is part of the family uniform of the people of God. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the virtues of Jesus. All these virtues are part of the family uniform of the people of God. They're what make Christians look like Christians. They fit us just right. As holy people, clothe yourselves with patience. Patience means having a long fuse and a short memory where grievances are concerned. Patient people are hard to provoke. They can take a lot before they lose it. Paul's word for patience here is macrothumia, which means having a very large capacity for absorbing irritants without getting paralyzed by them. Macrothumia. Think of patience as being like good motor oil. Good motor oil does not remove contaminants from your engine. What does it do with them? It suspends them. It puts contaminants into suspension so they can't wreck your motor. Patient people have a great big crankcase. They can put all kinds of irritants into suspension so that their motor doesn't get wrecked. They do get annoyed, but they have a place to put their annoyance. They do get irritated, but they have a place to put their irritation. I think it's important to add that patient Christians are not necessarily stoic. You know, the Stoics thought that you should never have a big rise of emotion. Never. Flat calm the whole time. Stone cold calm. Always. Christianity isn't like that. We are not Stoics. And we are not naive. When Christians see injustice, they get indignant just as they should. It's sometimes right to be good and angry. I get worried about people who are never indignant. Someone cheats you out of your job. Someone loses your good name for you behind your back. Somebody insults your best friend or your spouse. Somebody blasphemes God in your presence because they know how much it will hurt you. I think you ought to be indignant. You ought to have passionate againstness against those evil things. Righteous anger. My teacher, Lou Smeads, once said, Righteous anger is the executive power of human decency. But we need patience even for our big angers, even for big abuses. Nuisances can go into suspension for a while and we can forget about them, but bigger angers have to go there too. And the reason is that if we have been seriously offended, we need to stop and think, what's next? What are we going to do about this? Maybe 
If we have been seriously offended, maybe we're going to try to rebuke the offender, but Christian rebuke is delicate surgery, and you can't attempt it when your hands are shaking from anger. Maybe we will rebuke the offender, or maybe we will try to forgive the offense, but forgiveness, too, takes time. And when the day comes that God enables you to forgive somebody who has really hurt you, what you will do on that day is to drop anger you have a right to. And where will you go to look for your anger on the day that God enables you to drop it? If you are a patient Christian person, you will find your anger waiting in suspension in macrothumia, until the day that God gives you the grace to drop it. Christian forgiveness is patient forgiveness. Maybe your righteous anger will prompt you to seek justice. But justice, too, takes time and it takes cool heads. That's why we have all those rules in court. Time to stand up, time to sit down. Time to speak, time to keep still. A prescribed protocol even for approaching the bench. A need to ask permission to approach the bench. A prescribed protocol for addressing the judge. What's all that about? A whole lot of that is about anger control to keep courtrooms from being dominated by hotheads who will keep the big wheels of justice from turning. Some of us here have seen the 1962 film of Harper Lee's novel To Kill a Mockingbird, filmed and shown in 1962. Gregory Peck in this film plays Atticus Finch, an attorney of clean hands and a pure heart. Atticus Finch, small Alabama town, 1930s. His assignment is to defend Tom Robinson, a black man, falsely accused of raping a white woman in town. Well, Atticus does his eloquent best, but a racist jury convicts Tom Robinson anyway and at the end of the courtroom scene, what happens is that everybody on the main floor of the courtroom files out all the white people. Atticus Finch is up front. He's putting all of his stuff away into his briefcase. And then he turns and he starts walking out of the courtroom. And meanwhile, all the black friends and loved ones of Tom Robinson are in the balcony plus Atticus Finch's two children, Jem, a boy, and Scout, a girl, whose real name is Jean Louise. And as Atticus Finch walks out of the courtroom, all of the black friends and loved ones of Tom Robinson stand on their feet in the balcony. Atticus Finch had lost, but he has fought his heart out for their loved one, and they are standing out of respect 
for this white man who had spent himself for Tom. And at one point, Tom, Rob- Tom Robinson's minister looks down, sees Atticus's two kids at his feet, and he says to them, stand up. Stand up, Miss Jean Louise. Your father is passing. Now, what was it about Atticus Finch? Well, he was just. He was patient. He was kind. And when you think about his patience in that courtroom, what you see is an angry attorney. You can tell he's angry. You can see it by the little muscles working underneath his, the skin of his cheeks. You can tell it by the way he walks to the jury box. You can hear it in his voice. You can hear it when he says to the jury, In God's name, do your duty. But you also see a man who has his anger under control. He's got a governor on his anger because he needs to do his work in that courtroom. He needs to try to stop the injustice that is moving through it. He has a patience that once you have seen it depicted, you will never forget. Since you have been raised with Christ as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with patience it's very important to add that Christian patient people are not doormats. They know what it is to be angry. They also know a great deal about anger control and macrothumia. And they are strong, strong Christian people. Patience takes great spiritual muscle. Since you have been raised with Christ, clothe yourselves with patience. Patience fits people who have been raised with Christ. Patience is part of the family uniform of the people of God. How do you get it? You know, there are some of us here who are thinking, you know, I'm not naturally that patient. I guess this sermon isn't for me. Either have it or you don't. I don't. Remember again that all of these virtues in Colossians 3, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, thanksgiving, all of these virtues are both God's gift and our calling, which is a paradox, and that's okay. They are our calling, and how do we follow our calling? What's our end? Well, here are four ideas in four minutes. And then the sermon will be over. Kind of nice to know when it's going to be over. First, one thing we can all do is look at annoying people with the eye of imaginative love. It's kind of the third eye, like Cyclops, right in the middle of our forehead, the imaginative eye of love. You're behind a pokey driver in the left lane. 
Uh, what you really want to do is push on this person. What you really want to do is tailgate this person. Let them know how irritated you are. But a patient Christian looks on this person with the eye of imaginative love and thinks, this is somebody's grandparent. If not now, someday. <laughs> and what do you do with grandparents? You don't push on them. No, you give them a little room so that they can do their errands in peace and quiet. Give them a little room to... Let their life for this afternoon unfold the way God intended it to. Love is patient and love is kind, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and love is kind and one of the reasons is that love is imaginative. Second, we can set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul says that right at the beginning of this chapter. Set your minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not the things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ, in God. Setting your mind on things above means enlarging your frame, enlarging your perspective, Seeing life within a huge frame of the kingdom of God, which is going to come. God's will is going to get done. In this big frame for all eternity, annoyances really don't matter. A snub by your friend really doesn't matter. The irritating habits of some kids you know, they really don't matter. A pokey driver in the left lane doesn't matter. At the end of the day, all these things are like lost golf balls. They really don't matter. Now, as for the big injustices against your person, the assaults on your dignity, they do matter. They matter a lot. Maybe you will rebuke them. Maybe you will forgive them. Maybe you will seek justice for them and maybe you will get justice. But maybe not. Maybe you will not get justice until Jesus comes again and combs out all the snarls in human history. Meanwhile, what are you going to do? I suggest to you that as a person raised with Christ, what you have in the meantime is you have patience and you have the Psalms of Lament which enable you to pray your indignation and your resentment into the heart of God, who will absorb it, because God's crankcase is infinite. Fourth, 
Since you have been raised with Christ, one of the things that you do and I do and every Christian does is to look to Jesus. Gaining the virtues of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit is not a Ben Franklin program of self-improvement. This is a blessed benefit of having been raised with Christ and being given glad counsels for how we can cultivate the gifts of wonderful virtues that God is planting in us. And when you look to Jesus and see the run of his life, how Jesus treated a high-maintenance disciple like Peter, how Jesus prayed all night before calling the disciples, and he got Judas as one of the answers to his prayer and kept him served him bread on the night that Judas was betraying him. Think of Jesus with his infinite prayer life. Why did Jesus need to pray so much? He did. One of the blessed members of this congregation was observing to me before the service that when Jesus was on the cross... He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And all the rest of the time, he himself forgave people who offended him. But he was struggling to absorb a whole world's evil into himself without passing it back, struggling to cut the loop of vengeance that comes down the ages. And he cries out, Father, you forgive them, for they know not what they do. We watch Jesus walking the Via Dolorosa. We watch Jesus carrying his own cross to Golgotha. We watch Jesus on the cross suffering terribly for the sin that put him there. And so many of our annoyances and unhappinesses start to fade away because they are not cross-sized. Some of the injustices against our person, the assaults on our dignity, are cross-sized. But that's what Jesus' death is for, to assure us that he is taking away the sin of the world and that one day he will be a righteous judge of the living and the dead. Brothers and sisters, I've come here this morning really to say just one thing. Since you have been raised with Christ, clothe yourselves with patience. Patience fits people who have been raised with Christ. Patience is part of the family uniform of the people of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.